That's what idolatry does. Um, but this is now what I want to speak into your hearts tonight. I want to encourage you guys. And I want to build you guys up. Um, because God doesn't show us stuff like this just so that we feel sick. He doesn't show us this stuff just so we feel hopeless. And, you know, when you look at human trafficking, it's huge. I mean, it's a monster. And to think, what can I, you know, what can I do on my own? Or what can I do with, you know, the five people around me? And you can't think that way because it's not you. It's not you. It's God. Okay, it's not you, it's God. So if you ever feel hopeless, it's because you're looking at yourself and not at God. Right, I need to make this clear. And uh, I look at those pictures and I see these stunted children. I see these starving children. And uh, I know it's, it's sad and grim, but I just have to say the truth. That's the state of the church today. If you look at us, we are far more tall and strong and fit than those children physically. But spiritually, many Christians today are just as weak. Just as stunted, just as poor. And how do I know this? It's because you look at the church and you see what people are trying to do and they're not getting far. Okay? They don't know how to pray and so they just don't pray. And so they try and form groups and they, they rally these groups and people get all excited and then these groups fall apart. And I've seen many groups for North Korea like this, especially on college campuses, start out like a fire, but they have no oil, they have no wood. It's just like gas, it just blows up and then it's gone. And people are jaded. People are hurt. I've had many friends with a heart for North Korea that have served in these groups and wanted to do great things. But if they're not doing it based on spiritual power, they're trying to do it in the physical. And they realize in the physical, you can't come against these spiritual forces. Like I said, idolatry is the chief demon over North Korea. It's not Our fight is not against Kim Il-sung. He died long ago. But the spirit of Kim Il-sung, that spirit of idolatry, still owns that nation. So we have to fight in the, in the spiritual. The Israelites, think about it. They were slaves. They were farmers. They didn't know how to fight. But when they went into the promised land, how did they fight? They fought spiritually. They walked around the wall of Jericho. They didn't even draw a sword in any way. They just walked. They didn't even talk. God said, don't say a word. Just walk. And on the seventh day, raise a shout. And when they raised that shout, the walls. And in, in the Old Testament, you got to understand, everything in the Old Testament is a picture physically of what's happening in the spiritual in the New Testament. Just like the tabernacle. Everything that happens in the Old Testament is a picture physically of what happens in the New Testament. Those walls of Jericho were the spiritual walls of that nation. And when those walls crumbled, when that strong man was bound, okay, they were able to just go in and take that city. And that's what we have to understand with North Korea. When those walls of idolatry are finally broken down through prayer, okay, the nation is wide open. It's going to be easy. But only for those who are prayed up. I want you guys to open your Bibles to 1 John 4.19. We're going to look at our Bibles for a moment. 1 John 4.19. This is a key verse. If you were to go into orphanage ministry, I would teach you these things. And I would drill it into you. Because I get so many people with big hearts wanting to serve the orphans. And I'm really blessed by people with big hearts. And it wouldn't surprise me. Some of you guys, I got a big heart for human trafficking. Or I got a big heart for North Korea. Or, or I got a big heart for some other injustice. But I'm not so concerned about your heart, whether you're mature or not, because your heart is like that gas that it's on fire for a moment and it's exploding. But if you got no wood behind that, if you have no maturity, you're going to flame out. And I've had so many volunteers flame out in the orphanage ministry and do more damage than good. And I won't tolerate it. I will not let people volunteer in my ministry unless they're showing maturity. 
So this is what I teach them. First John 4.19, you should memorize this. It's very easy. We love because he first loved us. We love because God first loved us. What you guys need to understand first and foremost is that God is the author of love. He knows love. So we can never try and teach God love or say, God, why aren't you loving? Because we learned love from God. All right. And when we are children, God's grace on this earth demonstrates his love to us, often through adults, even through non-Christians, by his grace. But it's not until we are in tune with him, we have a relationship with him, that we know true love. Okay? It's not until we are in relationship with him that we understand true sacrifice, true heart, true devotion. It's relationship with him. We love because God first loved us. Now turn to John 15. Turn to John 15. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Some of you guys are worried about your future. You don't know what you're going to do after a mess. You're going, you know you're going home and you know, your home church maybe isn't that strong. Your home fellowship isn't that strong. You're wondering what's going to happen to you. Well, you guys need to hold on to these two verses. John 15, verses 4 and 5. I'll read it for you guys. 15, 4 and 5. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And I'm going to make it clear, guys. Apart from God, you can do jack squat in this world. You can do nothing. All right, I'm going to make it very clear because I've seen so many people go into the orphanages. I've been here seven years. Watch so many people that are talented, that are good with kids. Okay, they're the ones that get the kids all excited and riled up. And you think, wow, these people know what they're doing. They're going to make a huge impact. And they leave and there is zero impact. Sometimes it's even worse. Why? Because it's not based on love and what they're doing. And I've seen other people come with good intentions in the beginning and they try it, but they start to just lose heart. They don't have connection with the Lord and they end up hurting the children. They end up leaving. All right, and what I need to teach you guys right now is that each of you have a love tank. Okay, in your heart, you have a love tank. And consider it like this water bottle. And as you worship, as you seek the Lord, it says, abide in me. How do you abide in God? Through praise, through worship, through attending Emmaus, through discipleship, through reading the Bible, through prayer, through doing the Sunday school answers. If you abide in God, he will fill your cup. You will get the love of the Lord in you. And in Psalm 23, it says, he anoints my head with oil, my cup, it overflows. It overflows. But you know what happens when you go to the orphanage or you go to North Korea or you go serve the prostitutes or you go serve some difficult people? A lot of, a lot of Americans especially, they think orphans, like Orphan Annie, they're going to love me. They're going to be so grateful. I'm going to walk in and all the kids are going to run to me like the refugee camp and they're going to hug me and, and it's going to be wonderful. It is not that way. It is not that way at all. The truth is, is that the least loved people are the least able to love. I need you guys to understand this. The least loved people are the least able to love. So if you go with any expectation of receiving anything, serving the prostitute, serving North Korea, serving the orphan, you're going to get let down. And the truth is, when you go to these people, they're going to drain you. They're so thirsty and starving for love, you're going to give them a sip and they're going to want more. And they're going to want more, and you're going to find yourself pouring out. Okay, and you think, oh, it's pouring out through hugs? Well, I can do that. No, it's pouring out through disciplining them, through wanting to give up on them, through getting irritated with them, through their rebellion, through their struggles. It's pouring out, pouring out, showing patience, showing peace, showing gentleness, showing love. And what happens is I get so many volunteers, and they go in, and they pour out, and they pour out, and they're doing good those first few weeks. And soon, the water's gone, and they become 
dry, spiritually dry. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that term. I'm going through a dry season right now. Just going through a desert season right now. Just not interested in God. I don't want to go to church. I don't want anything. I'm just going through a dry season. You know why that is? Because you got no love in your heart. You run out. You've poured out, and now you're thirsty. And what happens when you run out of love? You become selfish. Why? Because love is the opposite of selfish. Love is thinking of other people. But the moment you go dry, you start thinking about yourself. And you start thinking, man, I need some rest. Man, these prayer meetings are tiring me out. I just, you know, I just want to play video games. I just want to, you know, go to the bar. I just want to go do these things. And what I see is the moment someone gets dry in our ministry, they quit. The first thing to go is the orphanage ministry. Why? Because it's where they get the most drained. And then they start to give up on church. They start to give up on fellowship. And they start to get deep into sin. Okay, I mean, it's just like, woo, going the other way. Why? Because sin and other things, it gives them like, it's like sugar, candy. It tastes good for the moment. And so they keep going after it. But what they really need is the living water. What they really need is the bread of life. And so I make sure that every volunteer that serves in our ministry, that they are attending church, they are a member of the church, that they're demonstrating their quiet times, that they're being faithful in their quiet times, that they come out to our monthly prayer meetings for the orphanage ministry. And they also have to walk, write out an application with their testimony. And if their testimony is all sketchy or whatever, then we don't accept them. We make sure they write down references. Why? Because I will not put an unloving person with my kids. That's abuse. That's wrong. Okay? I've seen the kids get hurt by these volunteers. Children's homes have closed themselves to volunteers, especially foreign volunteers like yourselves. Because they've had so many immature people come saying, oh, I've got this big heart. I want to serve the kids. And after three weeks, they're like, man, these kids aren't, aren't as fun as I thought they would be. I want to go do something else. And they quit. And the kids, well, they've already been rejected by the family. Now they're being rejected by these volunteers who acted very loving before and said they would come back. You talk about scars. It goes deep. You can't be selfish when you serve the orphan. You can't be selfish when you serve the prostitute or North Korea. You need to be abiding in God. You need to be filled with his spirit. And you know, I, I've shared this with missionaries. Missionaries have served for a long time. And some of them, they're still, they're like, wow, I, I never even thought of that. It's so simple, isn't it? And yet they talk about, you know, my friends, they, they were missionaries in Latin America and, and, you know, for 20 years. And now they're getting a divorce. And they call it, oh, it's just another Christian casualty. You know, it's a, it's a battle out there. It's a war. And, you know, there's, there's casualties. And I see other missionaries, you know. I've seen missionaries come to Korea. And they've come with good intentions, but they don't know how to, how to refill this. They don't have the quiet time down. Guys, it's not that hard to spend 20 minutes of your day in the word and in prayer. And I guarantee you, if you will just spend that amount of time with God each day, it's going to grow. Why? Because you're going to taste and see the Lord is good. You're going to want more of him. When I first started uh, in college, I was praying 10 minutes a night. 10 minutes a night, and I would read one chapter a day. And uh, then I got convicted during my freshman year, second semester, uh, by an accountability group. And the leader had me reading four chapters a day, uh, six days a week. And when we meet up, if somebody didn't read it, we would have to read those 24 chapters again, along with the next 24 chapters. It was no mercy. And so I'm reading Isaiah, and I don't understand a single word. I'm reading about the Assyrians and Babylonians and Ethiopians. And I'm like, I've heard of Ethiopia, but, you know, I don't understand anything. But I kept at it. And I kept asking God for more. And you know what? If you just ask, God will give it to you. And I found God giving me answers through the sermon that I would attend. That before, man, the sermons I would tune out. I would get so bored. I don't understand anything this guy's saying. But as I would pray over my Bible reading, 
coincidence, almost every Sunday they would talk about what I was reading. And I would get to my heart. And I would hunger more. And so I would go from praying 10 minutes a night to 15 minutes over the summer to 20 minutes the next semester. A little bit more the next semester. A little bit more. Just not out of compulsion, but just out of love for God. To the point when I was a fifth year, I was praying about two, two and a half hours a day. And it was easy. And I was having retreats in my room. I mean, I'm telling you, almost every day, I was getting jacked up by the Lord. And I, I'd be crying. I would have books that I would read during my prayer time. I would pray for a bit, and then I would read different books, different testimonies. And I would get jacked up, and I'd be crying. And then I'd go back into prayer. And I mean, I just realized, yeah, you don't need Emmaus Campus Ministry to survive. You don't need some ministry to baby you and toddle you along, you know. Come here, little child. All right, now you're going back home. Good luck. You know, go stumble over yourself. No, you guys are grown-ups. You guys are adults. It's very clear in Scripture. You just abide in God. You can do great things. But apart from Him, you can do jack squat. You can do nothing. And you end up hurting people more than helping. I need you guys to get that. Apart from the Lord, you can do nothing. As I said about North Korea, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. That's Ephesians 6.12. Zechariah 4.6 says, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, declares the Lord Almighty. It's by his spirit. You see, when David faced Goliath, he wasn't looking at Goliath in the physical. He was looking in the spiritual. In the spiritual, David was far bigger, far more a giant than Goliath was. So David said, this is easy. And he threw the rock and Goliath fell. And when you guys start seeing through the lenses of the spirit of God, nothing is too great for you. You can overcome all things. Guys, I serve in the healing deliverance ministry of the church. And, uh, you know, we've seen people demonically manifest and, and fall out. And, you know, I've, I've studied this stuff quite a bit. And it scares a lot of Christians, okay? It scares a lot of baby Christians. This is why all the horror movies are about exorcisms and demons. And, you know, they're in the house, you know, stuff like that. Okay? Come on. These things are pathetic. I'm telling you, it's all smoke and mirrors. I've served in this ministry. I mean, when I get a demonic dream, I get angry. I'm like, get off of me. And I wake up and I'm fine, you know. But if you will just read the word, if you'll get your identity straight, you'll find that there's no giant that can scare you. There's nothing that come, can come against you. You're able, to overdo, you're able to overcome all things. Romans 8.28 says you are more than a conqueror. Philippians 4.13 says you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Oh, North Korea, look at those huge idols. Look at those people bowing down. What can we do? Yeah, well, you can do jack squat by yourself. But by God, you can do anything. You can scale a wall. You can run against an army. You can do anything. You got to get filled with the Spirit. Something else I need to teach you guys, to tell you guys, is that you guys need to learn how to be led by the Spirit and wait on God. And I'm telling you this because we are the ADD generation. We want our fast food in the microwave 30 seconds, and we want to eat it. Okay, I see so many people going to the ministry and they're like, I haven't saved anybody in a month. I sh- I, I'm giving up. You know, my my small group, it hasn't grown in one semester. I'm going to give up. Oh, OK, no, you, you got to wait. You got to wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Be strong and take heart. Wait on the Lord. People ask me if North Korea opens up today. Are you going to run in? I'm telling you, there's a lot of enthusiastic people talking about North Korea. And they asked me, oh, if North Korea opens up, are you going to go in? you going to go build orphanages right away? And I say, heck no. I will not go in until God sends me. Because I know there are demonic forces in North Korea. I'm not scared of them, but I'm not going to go against them alone. I'm going to wait on God. And when big God starts to go in front of me, I'm going to walk right behind him. And I'm going to go right in. And, you know, these enthusiastic people, they hear it and they're like, yeah, but 
they're hurting right now. You know, we just we got to do something. And and they just want to work on their own. And I had a friend in college. I, I discipled him. And now I was sad. I, I went to Korea years later. He was about to wrap up his last semester of college. And he began to find out, find out about North Korea. And this guy's a passionate guy. Finds out about North Korea. He's ready to drop his school, not graduate from this very good university, and just straight up go. I'm just going to go. And it took his parents and his brother beating him, beating him physically and, you know, yelling at him to get some sense into him to just wait a few months and graduate. But the moment he graduated, he was, he was out. And uh, I, he, he contacted me years later when I went to uh, Thailand for an MPWM conference. And it turned out he had gone there without telling anyone. You know, you do those secret ministries, you can't tell anybody. He had gone to Thailand, and he was working with refugees. Been working with them for, for a while, and I met up with him, and he was a shell of who he used to be. And uh, I met with him, and he was completely dry. And he said, I, I, I don't like North Koreans anymore. He said, I work with them at this refugee center, and anytime you get two males together, they just fight. They fight, and they'll fist fight in the street in Bangkok. And I yell at them and say, if we are caught, you guys will be sent back to North Korea into the prison camps, and I'm going to be deported. And he'll yell at them, and they just won't care. Why? Because they got no love. They got no awareness. They're only thinking about themselves. And he serves them, and they are not grateful in any way. And he's not plugged into a church. He tried to find his, you know, fill his cup with ultimate Frisbee, you know, and other things. Just try, I got to find leisure time. And he ended up going back to America, and now he has a desk job in North Korea. Forget it. If you had met this guy four years ago, you would have thought, man, this guy is going to be the first to go to North Korea and do amazing things. And I really believe God still has a plan for him. But he went ahead of God. He didn't wait on the Lord. You guys need to learn how to wait on the Lord. You need to learn how to look to him. And I'll tell you guys, one of the greatest ways to wait on him is to get some people in your life, spiritual mentors, okay, who you can bounce things off of. Because you're a passionate people. You're, you know, it's really hot in here. Is there any way we can turn it off? Okay. I'm sorry. I'm starting to, to heat up. But um, you're a passionate people. And you guys need mentors. Uh, at New Philly, we say spiritual father. You, know, you need a father. You need sonship, okay? But if you're not comfortable with that term, you need a mentor. You need some people in your life. And who should these people be? These people need to be people who have fed into you, people that have made an impact in your life. You see, another problem with our generation is we just want answers quick. And so if I'd say, you know, some people in my ministry, hey, you, I need some references from you or I need some people to vouch for you, they're going to go to the people that will speak up for them the most. They're not going to go to the people that fed them, but they're just going to go to the people that they can get an easy response from. Okay, it's like a little kid who knows if I ask dad for a cookie, he'll say no. But if I ask mom, she'll say yes. So I'm going to go to mom all the time. Okay, you guys need to not be immature and just go to whoever will say yes to whatever you say. But you need to discern who's been feeding me, who's been convicting me, who's been even rebuking me and growing me. These are the people that I need to count on. These are the people I need to bounce things off of and I need to listen to. For me, it was my parents and uh, I've waited I waited on God for my parents to give me their blessing. I waited a year and a half, and God worked in an amazing way, and uh, he made it clear. And so when I came to Korea, I had full confidence in what I was doing. Um, there was no doubt. And so even when I got discouraged, even when I got drained multiple times, okay, and I would go in my room and be like, God, I just want to go home, I would remember the words that he had given my parents. I would remember the dreams God had released. I would remember those things, and I would have strength. But for all my friends that just went on a whim, just, I'm just going to do it. I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm not even going to pray about it. I'm just going to go. 
I'm telling you, the moment they get dry, they give up, and they are so disheartened. They're broken. They go home just, just completely wounded. Turn to Isaiah chapter 30. I'm, I'm almost done. Chapter 30. Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah is talking to Israel. He's talking about some different discipline that they're going through. But he gives them these words of comfort in Isaiah 30, verses 20 and 21. It says this, And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore. But your eyes shall see your teacher, and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. When you turn to the right and when you turn to the left. That word teacher, I know it's singular in the ESV, and it's capitalized because the, the ESV translators knew it had to do with something spiritual. Uh, if you study the Hebrew, it's plural. So it's not talking about Jesus. Uh, it's plural, and most interpreters believe it's talking about the prophets and the priests at that time, the spiritual fathers and mothers at that time, that God was going to release these people. And if you will listen to them, if you will talk with them, they will guide you in the right way. And I'm telling you, this is what our generation needs so bad, is it needs mentors. It needs people, fathers. It doesn't have to be your physical parents, but people that you know that will feed into you, that will rebuke you if they need to. And I'm telling you, God will speak through them so clearly to you. He will guide them just as he promises in Isaiah 30. And if you're wondering, well, who is that in my life? Just look around. Pastor Aaron and the staff, they're right here. Okay? And so if you're wondering, what am I doing with my life? Well, you have these people right here who obviously love you and care for you, care for you enough to rebuke you if they have to. And you can count that the Spirit of God will speak through them to you if you ask them about your future, if you begin to bounce things off of them. Guys, you need this. In Numbers 14, what happened was the Israelites sent in 12 spies. The spies come out from the promised land. Ten of them say, there's giants. We're all going to die. Okay, and they begin to rebel. And what God does is he sends a play. He kills a bunch of them. And they begin to repent. And they say, we're sorry, we're sorry. And God says, look, you're not going to the promised land. You're going to stay here. And the next generation is going to go. But the people said, we're sorry, we're sorry, we're sorry. Look, we're just going to go. We're going to go. And, and we're going to prove to you that we love you. And it says the Israelites ran ahead of Moses. Moses stayed behind. He said, don't go. God's not with you. But they said, no, 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 we're just going to go. And the Israelites ran ahead and they got routed by the army. And that's what happens when you go renegade, when you go solo, when you go on your own. There is no army in the world that's full of a bunch of renegades doing their own thing. Okay, the army of God is ordered. It's structured. And God, if he, he loves you, he obviously loves you. He's going to put these people in your lives. You need to find them. It says, your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes shall see your teachers. And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it, when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. The last thing I want to tell you guys, and this is short, is that in human trafficking, in North Korea, in serving the orphans, in reaching out to your family, in reaching out to the lost, what you guys just need to know always is the battle is not yours, it's God's. The battle is not yours, it's God's. Who is the author and perfecter of your faith? It's Jesus Christ. He is the author and perfecter. It wasn't the person who led you to Christ. It was Jesus. It was Jesus writing that story. He's the author and perfecter of your faith. And if your parents aren't saved, he's going to be the author and perfecter of their faith. Not you. Okay? You are not the one that's going to go save North Korea. You're not the one who's going to go save the prostitutes. You're not the one that's going to go and save your college. It's God. And so you need to have peace in that you need to have a clear viewpoint in that you know in armageddon 
You guys have studied, maybe you haven't studied the book of Revelation, but you guys probably know the word Armageddon. It's the last battle. It's the end of the days when Satan and all his army comes up against Israel. All right, He comes against the promised land. And it's the final battle before we all go up to heaven. Do you guys know what happens in that battle? So many movies and books portrayed as this huge clash. Christians, you know, with their swords and their shields, you know, and they're all white. And the, the demonic hordes, you know, fighting against like Lord of the Rings or something. There is no battle. You know what happens? Jesus is riding on a white horse. He comes out in front of all of us, in front of the army of God. And it says he speaks. The word of God comes out like a sword, double-edged sword, and it routes the army. Destroys all of Satan's army. Do you know who grabs Satan? I'm telling you guys, people get so scared of these demonic movies. You know who grabs Satan? Is it Jesus? Is it like tons of huge angels that you know, just dogpile him? No. It's a nameless angel. One angel that goes and grabs Satan and throws him in hell. Think about your perspective with North Korea. Think about your perspective with human trafficking or with your family or with your you know, home university. Who's fighting for you? How's this battle going to look like? Is it going to be you fighting and getting all beat up and another Christian casualty? Or is it going to be you waiting on the Lord? You abiding in him? You just walking with him and him just speaking in the sword of his mouth, routing the enemies. Just one angel coming down and just taking off all those spiritual forces in North Korea, wiping it out. Guys, the battle isn't yours. It's God's. If you're straining in prayer, if you ever catch yourself straining in prayer, you need to stop praying. Just don't pray. Just worship because your straining is an act more of faithlessness than faith. So when you're straining, you're praying more out of doubt doubting God, then you're praying out of faith. Think about that. That's kind of pathetic to come to God. Do you love me? Please show your love. You know, I'm the author and perfecter of your faith. I love you. You learn love from me. Don't you know who I am? So if you ever find yourself straining, you got to think, hey, the battle is not mine. It's God's. I'm just going to worship the Lord until I start to get some peace up within me. And then I can pray with confidence. I'm going to close it in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for these students, God. And uh, God, I thank you, Lord, that they are not babies in the faith. Uh, God, I thank you that even if they've only been here for a week or, or a few months, God, you've already built them up tremendously. And God, I thank you that the love they've experienced in this fellowship, Lord, it's not just for a season. God, your love endures forever. Your love is eternal. God, I thank you that in the family of God, there's no divorce. There's no orphans in the family of God. So I thank you for those who've been saved in this fellowship and those that have come back to you in this fellowship, Lord, that the love that they have with their small group leader or with Pastor Aaron or the staff, God, that that love, it never dies, it never ends, it never fails. God, I thank you that we're not alone when we go to other countries, but we have a great cloud of witnesses who are with us. I thank you, Lord, that we have family all over the globe now who care for us, Lord, and will intercede for us and will counsel us if we ask. God, I thank you that no one's alone in this room. And God, I also thank you that you've equipped them with your word and with prayer, with your Holy Spirit. And so I thank you that they're able to abide in you even if they're in the desert, even if they are all alone physically, God. They have your word written upon their hearts. They are able to connect with you. And they are able to do great things, God. I thank you that each and every one of them, they are more than conquerors. They can do all things through you who gives them strength. And so, Lord, I just speak your grace and your anointing upon them. I speak excitement for the future. God, I thank you that they are giant killers, God. 
God, I think that they will go forth, Lord, and see salvation in their families. They will see salvation in their communities. Lord, that they will see, Lord God, strength rising up within them. That, Lord God, maybe just a few will get saved at one time. But as they wait upon you, as they look to you, more and more, Lord God, their hearts will be turned. Their hearts will be healed. Lord, they will be delivered. And, Lord God, that people in this room are going to rise up and deliver nations. God, I thank you, Lord. That, Father, we are not the microwave generation, Lord. I thank you, God, that you give us a grace to wait upon you and to look to you and to trust in your timing. I thank you that the battle is not ours, but it's yours, God's. And so we can have patience. We can have patience that even if Isaac hasn't come for 40 years, Isaac will come. Your promises will be fulfilled and mighty nations will will come forth, God. I speak a grace to wait, a grace to have patience in this place, God. It's your battle. North Korea is your battle. The orphans, they are your battle. God, human trafficking is your battle. It's all yours. So we cast our burdens to you. We cast our crowns to you. And God, we pray rain in our lives and in all that we do. We love you, God. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.